the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. And uh, my special guest, part two today, is uh, Dan, Dan Hammond. He's the uh, campus pastor at uh, Everett, uh, uh, in Everett at uh, Canyon Creek uh, Church. And uh, Dan, uh, welcome back to part two of Heart of the City. Thanks, Chuck. We we got you sharing your story, and I knew we were going to run out of time. And I and I thought, you know what, uh, the the story of your life is something that people need to hear. So uh, before we move on, uh, uh, let's let's kind of do a reset. You grew up in this area. Mm-hmm. You're a PK, a pastor's kid. I am. Yeah. And uh, uh, your pastor, uh, your your dad was a pastor at a large church up in North Seattle. and uh, But you didn't really have a relationship with the Lord growing up. I did not. I went to church regularly and had no idea who Jesus was. Yeah. Ended up at SPU in a basketball scholarship. Mm-hmm. And then for some reason, you thought it was wise to uh, beat up your coach in your senior year. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> and people can go back and listen to the podcast to hear that story. Yeah. But for some reason, that just wasn't a wise move on your part. It was not. But it was the beginnings of uh, a total collapse, which then led to Jesus. So yeah. I guess it was good. Yeah. Well, uh, and so out of that began a progression in your life where you were uh, had a you were married, yep, and uh, your wife decided to to head out of Dodge with, with someone else and went to New York City. Pick up the story from there just a little bit about what happened. Well, uh, she ran off with one of my best friends, and uh, I was devastated. Um, contemplated suicide, left a suicide note for my parents. Decided to try and get her back. Um, flew back to New York City. And uh, found her, and uh, she was having none of it, and and we ended up at Studio Fifty Four with some friends of ours, and um, I was really at that point of um, I think I'm finished, and uh, was outside of Studio Fifty Four and had this radical encounter with Jesus, where He literally came in and washed me clean, and overwhelmed me with His love and His grace and His mercy. Um, and uh, I got saved for the first time in my entire life at 22. And you'd watched a whole bunch of other people, I'm sure, get saved at, oh, yeah. your, at, at your dad's church, at your church. Yeah. Grew up seeing all that, but yet you had to have that personal encounter yourself. I did have to have that personal encounter myself. And um, there's a difference between being religious or even being around the church and having a real relationship with Jesus for yourself. 
And I have been around the church all my life, but it had never gotten past the surface Mm -hmm. into me. Mm -hmm. And it really took God's breaking in my life for me to open up and say, I desperately need you. I've made a mess out of this. I know that you have the power to change it. Could you come and forgive me? Which is exactly what happened. Yeah. So then fast forward a few months, you become a youth pastor at your at your at the church and uh then there was just kind of this sense that there had to be more than dealing with some of the superficialness of of you know, kids have problems obviously and there were some serious problems I'm sure, but yet yeah. you, you felt like there was more to what the Lord was calling you to do. So you end up at Capitol Hill dealing with the uh, community up there. Yeah, I decided to volunteer at Chicken Soup Brigade, which was uh, an outreach to people who were dying of AIDS. And in the 80s, everybody died. It was a death sentence if you got AIDS. And I think, Chuck, what really happened there was I got exposed to a community of people in the city that there was no Jesus representation for them, that whatever we categorized their sin in some way, and they had become lepers to the body of Christ in some ways. And suddenly, here's this group of people bleeding and hurting and lost and alone, um, and we have no interest in them. And really, it broke my heart for the first time, really sort of crushed me to the core of my being to say, could I come and be Jesus's love for them? Could I make a difference? Could I express love, his love, in such a way as people's lives actually got changed? And it was the start, the beginning place of brokenness in my own life that maybe I could start to feel the way he feels about people. And maybe I could start to care the way he cares. And maybe my big house and my fancy car and my big salary and these beautiful Brooks Brothers clothes, um, maybe those things don't mean so much. Maybe there is something even more meaningful, more fulfilling that I could give my life to, um, that I could look back and say, hey, maybe I did make a difference with the life that I have, and I found a way to express God's love to others. And that's really what Chicken Super Gay did for me. It was that starting place to say, oh, my God, what could God do with me if I really chose to be him for others? Yeah. So then through some a series of events, you decide that uh, you're going to move on in ministry and end up in Portland. We did. Uh, we moved to Portland. I was going to hang out with a friend of mine, Wendell Smith, um, who uh, ultimately ended up starting City Church, was the big church here in this city. And uh, his son Jude is doing a fantastic job with it now. And um, I connected with a guy named Eric Knox, who played basketball at Oregon State and was the last guy cut for the Blazers. He likes to tell people that. Um, <laughs> and uh, We didn't know what we were going to do. We just decided we are going to move to the inner city and see if God could use us. And we both had a passion for kids, for high school and junior high kids. So um, we literally got in a car. Um, we drove around. We found a community center down in northeast Portland. We asked the guy, we said, where's the worst neighborhood in Portland? And he said, well, this kid got his brains blown out on Six and Shaver last week. So you should try Six and Shaver. So we're driving around. We're completely lost. We don't know where we are. We're driving down this crazy ratty street. And um, I look over, and there's a for rent sign. And the phone number was, I remember this, 297-6666. It's a true story. This must be the place. That's literally what I said to my boy. I said, that's a sign from heaven. This is our place. And I literally right there on the phone called the landlord 
Um, and we rented it right then <laughs> on the spot. And God changed my life there. Yeah. So rent it to become what? We didn't know. Um, we knew we both it was had... A, was it a house? Was it, it was a, a storefront? Okay. It was a house. Um, and the funny thing is, and not funny, providential thing, was we were literally two houses down from the corner of Sixth and Shaver. Hmm. So we knew it was a divine place for us. So we just started hanging out. We started, there's a couple of parks around the house. We started playing basketball with kids. And then we thought, well, let's, let's get them all together. We were going to this great big church at two gyms, uh, not that far away, six miles away. A world away culturally, right. six miles away geographically. So we started picking kids up at their houses and then taking them up to the gym, played basketball with them, and then we'd take them into a classroom and we would preach the gospel to them, man. I mean, <laughs> hell and brimstone, baby, because yeah. <laughs> we don't know if they're even going to be around next week. Right. And um, it started— How old are you at this time? I'm in my late 20s. Okay. Yeah. A couple of kids. Four kids. Four kids. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Little kids. And a wife that absolutely must love you because, oh my goodness. because Bro, there's you not a know. lot of women <laughs> there's not a lot of women with four kids that are willing to do that. Bro, you don't know how amazing that lady is. Yeah. She is crazy amazing. And uh yeah, I asked her to sell our house, give all the money away and move to the hood. And we didn't even know how we were gonna eat. Um, I literally sent some letters out to our friends. Um, this is before the internet, so right, um, and just said, "Hey, I feel like I could make a difference in some people's lives, and uh, if you'll let us, send us some money." And we started a five hundred one c three. I didn't even know what that word meant at the time, right? Um, and pretty soon we had ten kids in our club, and then it was fifty, and then it was a hundred, and then it was two hundred, and then it was girls clubs and then it was younger kids clubs and then it was 400 and then it was 600 kids that we were picking up at their house every single week taking them up to the gym and hanging out with them and preaching the gospel to them and Chuck really it's the place where everything changed for me Um, I'm this white man from Kenmore who literally knew nothing about black people about the inner city we moved onto a street, and they're selling crack out in my front of my house 24-7. Um, I, be, I had a chance to get shot up, shot at. Um, our office got shot up. We had people shot in our backyard. Um, we had a prostitute who lived across the street from us. The guy who lived two doors down across the street used to prostitute his 14-year-old daughter. While I would sit on the porch, he would take her out, put her in men's cars. They'd come back. He'd take the money. And I got exposed to stuff that I'd never seen before that um, broke me, just broke my heart over and over and over again. And it started to change me. And it started to put passion inside of me that I didn't think I had before. I started preaching to kids on the corner. Um, And here's the crazy part. I just started loving people. And their lives changed. And we had all these kids meet Jesus. And we had all these unbelievable experiences, uh, life-changing experiences. And the five years that we spend in the inner city really are the foundation stones of who I am right now um, because it literally changed everything for Kelly and I. Hmm. Hmm. So what happens after five years? Uh, <laughs> okay, so here's what happens if you're in the inner city for a long time. You start to get angry. Uh, you start to get mad at your white brothers who say they love Jesus, but they don't care. Um, they literally don't care. People are dying and going to hell every day. And 
overdosing on crack. At the time, crack was king in my neighborhood. It's now other things. Um, and I got angry. Um, and I was mad at all my white brothers. We went to an almost all-white church, and they hated the fact that we were bringing all these black kids to church all the time. And I'm having all these conversations with fathers of girls who are in the youth group who are saying, why are you bringing these black boys to church? They're going to want to date my daughters. And I'm like, yeah. And just unhappy. Right. Just very difficult to to make the transition from an affluent sur- suburban church. And now they got all these black people coming and it's it's difficult for them. Truly difficult. And so I'm getting madder and madder and madder. And, um, and I started reading the Catholic mystics and um, that'll mess you up if you if you do that. <laughs> right. Just want you to know. And I really I started to think there's something more. And I thought maybe it's all the stuff I have that is a part of the problem. Maybe I could be more spiritual if I could just get rid of the stuff and maybe take one step lower. So I talked to my wife, my beautiful long suffering wife, and uh, we decided with another family that lived and worked with us in the inner city. Um, to move to the Dominican Republic. And we were going to sell everything that we owned in the world, and we were going to live in a shack and minister to the poorest of the poor. So that's what we did. We literally sold everything we owned in the world. Uh, We didn't even own a fork to eat with. My kids all got to keep one toy and one book. And we moved into a shack with this other family in the Dominican Republic um, with nothing, no support, no money, and not a pot. Um, and, um, it was, in fact, we sold my wife's wedding ring even. Well, that's about how far we went. And we had been there a couple of months and, uh, the Dominican is a beautiful place and we're living in this painful, beautiful barrio, you know, I mean, tin homes and naked kids, everything that you see on TV, it's all Mm -hmm. that and a bunch more. And I'm sweating. I'm a large man and I'm literally sweating 24 hours a day. (laughs) Just like, oh, my God. And um, some good things happened. But, Chuck, I was laying in my bed. All my kids are in this little teeny tiny room with my wife and I. And um, I woke up in the middle of the night. I'm sweating. And I literally, I sat up in bed. um, And this is what I said out loud. I said this. Oh, my God. I'm exactly the same without the stuff as I was with the stuff. Mm. Because it's not the stuff that's the problem. It's me. Mm. And I literally, I woke up Kelly and I said, uh, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you're, I said it before. Your wife must really she's love amazing, you. She's, she's insane. <laughs> <laughs> I said, baby, I'm wrong. It's me that's the problem, not the stuff. Right. And uh, I said, We had to come to the Dominican Republic to discover that. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, um, we got to go home. Wow. And figure out what God has for us. And I called my father, and we I didn't have any money, and he graciously bought us tickets to come home, and we came home. And, um, and I spent some time just saying, okay, God, what's next? What do you have in mind for us? And um, we ended up uh, with the church that we were going to at the time. We ended up planning a church uh, here in Capitol Hill, um, which was unbelievably awesome. And... A whole different group of people, um, tatted, pierced um, white people mm-hmm. um, who have a whole different set of hurts and pains. And 
and some great stuff started to happen. And there's a whole long set of circumstances that came out of all that, but which I can't really go into. But um, I ended up getting excommunicated, um, which I don't use that word very often. But my own father and some of his brothers decided that I was not doing the gospel right. And so they excommunicated us and basically closed the church down because we were a plant of this other church. And um, that was a crazy painful time for us. And um, I have thought about it often, and we've had all kinds of great reconciliation, and everything's worked out good. So Yeah. Um, but it was so painful for my wife, Kelly, because they'd sent out a letter of disfellowship, so even our friends couldn't talk to us anymore. Wow. Um, and the rationale was that you weren't preaching the gospel or that you were just associating with people that didn't think you ought to? Well, I don't want to – don't, you don't need to get into uh, that. No, it's – okay. I'll just give you a – so we had a very – a church that was involved in the discipleship movement and the shepherding movement. Mm-hmm. And I was not uh, as aggressively forcing people to do what we thought was best for them. <laughs> okay. okay. So that's all I could say. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, they asked me to, to excommunicate some people who had not violated the scriptures when I said I couldn't. Right. That ended up with a bunch of stuff. And, yeah. Um, and I got the heavy help. There you so go. We ended up moving back to Portland because um, I just had to get my wife out of town. Yeah. And I needed to get out of town. And so my partner, Eric Knox, and I, who did Urban Progress together, we, um, he was planning a new church, and we helped him do that. And um, I got—Kelly um, looked at me. We've been in full-time ministry for about 20-something years at that point. And she looked at me, and she said, hey, I would really like to be able to buy the kids some new shoes right. when it's time. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She said, do you think you'd get another job for a while? Because this has been a crazy ride. Yeah. And I'm like— well, yeah, I, I could. So I ended up uh, starting a mortgage company with some friends of mine, and uh, we got into the property development business in Portland, and we just made outrageous amounts of money. Um, it was the middle of the 2000s, and um, I'm making all this money, and um, we had uh, a bunch of flips that we were doing and all kinds of stuff. And the middle of 2007, um, the whole economy collapsed, and Kelly and I had – um, 11 homes that we were flipping and we owned personally at the time. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so needless to say, uh, we went completely upside down uh, in 2008 and had to file for bankruptcy in 2009. And it was the most painful moment of my life. Um, mm. And I literally felt like I went through eight years of hell where God was just beating, beating me. Um, and uh, breaking me and working some new things into my life that you can only get through pain. Um, brokenness is great to talk about. It's not so great to visit mm-hmm. um, and certainly not a great place to live for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. And every time I felt like he had gotten every piece of that onion, like, this is it, Jesus, this is it. There's no more left. Okay, you could tell me what's next, and I'm good because you've gotten it all. There'd be just another layer. Um, so I literally felt like I got eight years of beat down from Jesus. I call my years of famine. <laughs> so, um, and near the end of that, I got a call from um, a kid who used to be in my youth group, Brandon Beals. And he is the lead pastor at Canyon Creek Church. And he called me and said, Dan, uh, 
I want you to come maybe and, and uh, consider coming on staff. And uh, eventually I'd like to make you a campus pastor. And um, I prayed and said, okay. And um, so I came and uh, a couple years, a year or so later after that, he said, hey, we're going to merge our current Everett campus back into the Mill Creek campus. And we'd like you to plant a new campus in Everett. And um, I said, well, okay, let me pray about that because I'm 55 years old and we're talking about a church plant, basically. Right. And it's mobile church, so it's tear down and set oh, up wow, and wow, all wow. of that. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm an old guy now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, as I was praying, I felt like I was fussing with Jesus. And because, you know, you go through a, an extended period of pain in your life and and um, I literally was telling the Lord, I feel like I'm so broken. I'm like Humpty Dumpty. I don't think I could put the pieces back together again. Yeah. And I felt like the Holy Spirit whispered to me, well, it's about time, Dan. Wow. Because um, I might actually be able to use you now. Hmm. And I was like, well, that's encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> so I told Brandon, yes. And we started our campus a year and a half ago at Everett Community College. Um, near the end of last year, um, we were able to buy a building, miraculously buy a building in Everett. Um, and we moved in there about six weeks ago. And it's been unbelievable, Chuck. It's just literally been unbelievable. And here's the beautiful thing is that you get a chance to look at the journey you've been on. Mm-hmm. And God has brought you through this and this and this and this. And when you're in the middle of it or even when you're in those moments of of questioning and famine, you look back at it and you just say to yourself, what was the purpose of all that? There must have been something that God had in mind to do with me now because it just seemed hopeless at the time. And so I um, I look back now at what we're doing in Everett, and I can totally see God's preparation over the last 30 years for what we're doing. I have this crazy passion for black, brown, and white, and Native and Asian people. Just crazy that the church could somehow be a diverse community of people that love each other, and the world could look at us and say, that must be real. Look how they love each other, because we can't get along. And so that's beginning to happen at our campus in Everett. I've got this passion for rich and poor people to sit under the same roof and love each other. And I, I'm telling you, Chuck, my rich brothers and sisters have no idea how desperately they need the broken in their lives. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, could, I could talk for a half hour just about that, but mm-hmm. I won't. Um, and I have this passion that we could be really, really be a family that loves each other and has real community. And that those aren't just religious words that we spout at each other, but that they're real. And that's beginning to happen. And I've got this passion that we would be a community of people that are willing to get their hands dirty, loving others. And that's begun to happen. And there's been so many amazing things happening at our campus. We're blowing up. Um, we're going to go to two services in August. And Canyon Creek Church has been a great mom to us, and I'm just thrilled at what God's done. Well, we've got about a minute, minute and a half left. So if somebody wants to uh, attend uh, Canyon Creek uh, Everett uh, campus, what do they do? Uh, Go to our website. It's canyoncreekonline.com, and um, we have service times. Uh, Our new times starting in August are going to be 9 and 1030. We're at 2201 Wetmore, which is right downtown Everett. Um, we're just a few blocks from Funco. So if you've ever been to Funco, that's <laughs> uh-huh. the place. Uh-huh. Um, and come hang out with us. Um, if you need a family to be a part of, we're ready to do that. Yeah, um, We're ready to, 
to join with you in seeing God change you so that you can be involved in changing others. Well, Dan, I want to thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City. Uh, We've been speaking with Dan Hammond. He's the Everett Campus Pastor with uh, Canyon Creek Church uh, in Everett. And uh, if you want to check out the church again, the uh, website is canyoncreekonline.com. And uh, I want to thank you for joining me today. Just got uh, 30 seconds left. Just share a final thought with us. Thanks, Chuck. I do believe that Jesus has the power to change your life. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen with the rich, the poor, brown, black, white, native, Asian, doesn't matter. God has the power to change everything for you if you'll surrender to his love. Let it come in. He'll not only change you, he'll give you the capacity to love others. Good word. Pastor Dan, thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City. God bless you. Thanks, Chuck. listening to this 820 AM, the word special heart of the city. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, the word call Chuck Olmstead 206-269-6216 or go to thewordseattle.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.